Well, good afternoon, Vintage. How are you today? Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Matt. I'm part of the teaching team here, and I know Josh said it earlier, but if you're a guest with us this morning, right after service, I would love the chance to connect with you out in the guest suite. We'll have some of our serve team members and some of our staff out there, but swing by on your way out. Please don't leave without us at least saying hello to you, learning your name, and we want to make sure that you know that you're welcome here at Vintage. The second thing I'd like to highlight before we get going, if you haven't done so already, download the Vintage Church app. Now, I'm telling you that because there's a lot of awesome things coming up over the summer, and this is the tool so you don't miss it. You can register for all the events that we've talked about, and it'll have reminders on there, all of the scheduled calendar events. You can catch up on past teaching series. You can keep notes with the current one. It's a great great resource. I won't be offended if you pull your phones out now and download it while we get going. I want to make sure that you have the resource in your hand. Well, I am honored today that Pastor has invited me to bring today's message. We're continuing our series, Mixed Emotions, How to Deal with What You Feel. Now, I'm an expert with emotions. I have three young daughters at home. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what I'm doing with emotions. It's not my forte, but here's what I do know. God has created you and me with the propensity to feel deeply. It's uniquely human. None of God's other creations can feel or they don't have emotions like you and I. He did it on purpose. But when those emotions take a hold in our life that is disproportionate to what we've surrendered to God, then it becomes quite destructive. And so we've spent the last few weeks talking about how to deal with some of these things that we feel. Emotional health is a very important part of our effectiveness as the body of Christ. It drives our interactions with other believers and even our interaction and relationship with our creator. Our emotional health is incredibly important and that's why we have spent the time talking about these emotions. Today, in week five, we're going to talk about what to do when I feel afraid. Anybody in the room ever been afraid before? The rest of you are too afraid to admit it and that's okay. We're gonna talk through it together, okay? Here's the big idea for today's message. Not all fear is bad. Not all fear is bad. God actually created you and I with a protective fear. It's the thing that keeps us from like destroying ourselves. You grow up with it. Some of these fears are hardwired into us. They're a protective fear that keep us away from danger. Now, some fears are taught. That's a different message. Some of us are teaching our kids to be afraid of things that ought not be feared. Some of us learned irrational fears, perhaps from some of our family. But there is this core idea of a protective fear, but when it gets out of control and begins to govern us, as opposed to us having it let us govern what we get ourselves into, then it becomes quite destructive. The scripture has a lot to say about this idea of fear. Let's look to John 14.1. It says, This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus goes on in verse 27 to say, Peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, Jesus told that to his disciples literally at the Last Supper. You see, Jesus had just identified Judas as the one who was going to betray him. Judas leaves the room. They take together what we know to be the first communion. Literally on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, he tells his disciples, Peace, I leave with you. Don't be afraid. What a powerful, powerful moment. You know, a group of 100 college students was asked to make a list of all their fears. And across this group of 100 students, they composed a list of over 500 different fears. I wonder if I did the same thing this afternoon with you, how many fears we would come up with. Maybe some of you have one or two. Easy. Maybe some of you have double-digit fears. But the point is we all have a fear in our life. And we're going to talk today about what to do about it. Fear can be quite the enemy of our emotional well-being. And it's a gateway emotion because right behind fear are things like stress and anxiety and depression. And we're going to talk today about how to head that fear off before it grows too big. I heard a doctor say one time that the most pervasive and subtle disease of all of humankind is fear. And you've heard President Roosevelt's Famous quote in his inaugural address, I'll let you finish it. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Why ought we fear fear? Because it unhinges us from the very best that God has planned for us. Fear can either motivate us or immobilize us. And fear ought to be feared when it does the latter. I read a story about a man who was out checking the fence line on his ranch Some other ranch hands were with him, and as they come upon a piece of fallen barbed wire, and come off the post, and so as he reached for the fallen barbed wire, he also at the same moment saw a snake very close. He pricked himself with the barbed wire, but thinking he was bit by the snake, he immediately fell to the ground. He started foaming at the mouth, his joints locked up, and he couldn't move. He was terrified. His friends called the ranch physician who rushed out there and observed the injury, and he said, sir, you've not been bit by a snake. You just pricked yourself with the barbed wire. And this poor guy stopped foaming at the mouth. He felt great. He stood up and finished his fence line checks. You know, it's crazy though, but fear has such a psychological and a physiological control over us. And when we allow it to drive our very behaviors, that's when it becomes a problem. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Matt, I've read the Bible and it says, it tells me that I should fear. You're not wrong. What's discover what the scripture uses in terms of two different words for fear? Okay, so let's differentiate these first, and then we're going to talk about one specific kind of fear. Let's look in Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 22.4, the result of humility is fear of the Lord. There are two different types of fear that the Bible talks about. You see, in the Greek language, there are many words for the different kinds of fear, but when we translate those to English words, we only have one. 
it's fear. But really, we're talking about two different derivations of fear. The Bible talks in these parts like we see in Proverbs. And when Paul talks in Romans and Ephesians and Acts about fearing the Lord, they're talking about a root word called phobos. Now, phobos has several meanings, one of which is a reverential, a respectful fear, a a deference to something greater. That's the kind of fear that these scriptures are talking about. But there is a different kind of fear. Dylea is the original Greek word used in a different kind of fear. Dylea is used in 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul is talking, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, dylea, but of power, love, and sound judgment. You see dylea at its, at its very meaning. If we were to trace this back, it's actually born out of cowardice and inner timidity. That's very different than a reverent and respectful kind of fear. We're going to talk about dylea. The fear that is inwardly cowardice and it's born out of timidity. That's the kind of fear that God never intended to control us. And he's given us the power to overcome it. And we're going to discover that together. That's the kind of fear that the disciples experienced. You remember the story when they were out on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was asleep in the boat and a storm overtook them and they were very afraid and they went down to Jesus and he walked out and spoke calm to the wind and the wind. That fear that the disciples, that's a dilea fear and inward cowardice. We're going to talk about today what to do when we feel that. There's some common fears out there. Let's go through a few of them, and maybe this is not exhaustive, but maybe you can relate to some of these. How about a fear of failure? Some folks are just too afraid to try a new venture, to step out to a new place that God is calling them, but they're so afraid of failing that they're immobilized, and they won't step out to what they know is right. How about the fear of criticism? Some folks are so concerned with what other people think of them that it it is debilitating. You don't have to look far on Facebook to know what that fear of criticism looks like. I've known folks that won't step out into something that God is maybe telling them to do because they're afraid of what a group of people or a person on the other side may think or say about them. Friends, I... So let me just say, the, what other people think of you is, is not your problem, it's theirs, okay? The only person that we should be concerned with about what they think is our creator, the almighty God. And the Bible is super clear about what he thinks about us. He says, I created you in my image, you're perfect just the way I made you. So it doesn't matter what other people think of you, that's their problem. Let them deal with that through God. You worry about what your creator thinks, and there's no wonder into it, it's right here in red and white. A fear of rejection. I've had friends that won't try out for an athletic team because they're afraid of being told no. I've known people that won't ask someone out on a date because they're afraid of being told no. They won't go to a job interview because they're afraid of being told no. And I'm not talking about the 20-somethings in the room. I'm talking about grown people in their 50s and 60s that are afraid of hearing no. It's a fear of rejection. Fear of authority. There are some that 
are absolutely immobilized by authority. Maybe a boss, maybe a principal, perhaps law enforcement of some sort. It's a legitimate fear that generates inaction, a fear of death. Lots of folks walk around on a daily occasion dealing with this fear of death. Maybe there's a family history of a disease or a cancer of some sort, and and there's a legitimate reason to be afraid of dying of this family history thing. COVID brought this out in a lot of people. They weren't necessarily, my friends at least, weren't scared of COVID, but it was what COVID may result in if they were to die. There is a fear of death that sometimes is, it just immobilizes people. It unhinges them from the very best that God has for them. They're afraid to live because they're afraid to die. How about a fear of loss? Maybe the loss of a job or friends that you have or maybe money that you have. Some people are immobilized by a fear of loss, a fear of the future. It's just this idea of the unknown, right? I don't know what's on the other side, and I'm terrified to step into it. I'm quite comfortable right here. I know the temperature right where I'm standing. I'm good. I'm afraid of what's on the other side of that mountain. Maybe a fear of the past. Maybe it's this twisted fear that somehow whatever our past is is going to somehow come back and haunt us today. Friends, I'm just telling you, the Word of God tells you quite the opposite. It says that your past, God forgot it when he died on the cross for your sins. And your past is not necessarily something that you need to bury, but it's part of your story. It provides a reference point from where you used to be to where God has you right now because you're not where you're going to be, but you're certainly not where you used to be, right? So the fear of the past, I'm just telling you, it's not the facts. God erased that when he died on the cross for you and me. But some folks are immobilized by their past. How about some phobias? And there's uh, thousands and thousands of phobias out there, right? My girls are crazy. They're, they're scared of some crazy stuff. Most of it's irrational. There are some legitimate phobias out there, though, that folks are immobilized because of their fear of that. We're going to talk a little bit about what to do when we face some of these fears. So let's dive into it. If you got your notes, say, yep. Number one, be honest. Be honest. You know, I travel a lot for work. And when I get on an airplane, I go to, you know, airplane mode because I do the right thing. And uh, when I land at wherever my destination is, inevitably, I've got to go straight to a rental car and then go to a destination. I'm usually not familiar with the places I'm going, so I always rely on my maps on my phone. And because I have team, maybe when I land, uh, (laughs) when I turn my phone on, sometimes the phone is a bit confused at where it is. It tries to navigate me from where I took off from, and so when I get directions, it's from Austin to someplace in Virginia. That's problematic. The problem is not the phone understanding where I want it to go. The problem is that the phone doesn't know where it is right now. So friends, I'm just telling you, be honest about where you are right now. There's congruence when you see, this is how I see myself, I'm self-aware, and this is how I really am, or this is how others that I love and trust see me. When those things are in alignment, at least now I've got a starting point from which to navigate. Otherwise, I'm trying to navigate from Austin to Virginia. It won't do me any good. Just get over ourselves, be humble, and be honest about where I am 
right now because now I can start. In James 4, verses 6 and 7, it says that he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Sometimes we just need to swallow our pride and be honest. I'm afraid. Number two, name the fear. Name it. For any of you in the room that have young kids, I'm going to give you a little bit of parenting advice. I haven't figured it all out. I'm learning as I go, but this I, this I do know. If your kids bring home a stray cat that they found in the neighborhood, do not, under any circumstance, let them give it a name. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because why? Soon as soon as they name that thing, that feral cat is yours. It belongs to you. Don't let them name it. I'm just telling you. When we're talking about fear, don't be nebulous. Call that fear out of the fog. Name it. Give it a name because when you do, you own it now. It's yours. At least you can touch it. It's not something that you're just sort of, I'm afraid. No, no, no. Call do some self-reflection, call it out, say, I'm afraid of this because now I've got a specific target for which to pray about and invest my energy in and ask the Holy Spirit to help me overcome. But short of naming it, I don't own it. It's just out there. Name it. Number three, take your fear to God. Take your fear to God. You know, there is a direct and positive correlation for my mathematicians in the room about your awareness of the love that God has for you and your ability to give your fear to him. When you're more aware that God loves you, you're more able, you're freer to give him your fear. God's not gonna punish you or judge you or chastise you because you bring a fear to him. 1 John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. It's a binary relationship. The more aware I am of God's love for me, the less likely I am and the less room I have for fear in my life. Hebrews eleven six. it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. What we're encouraging you to do is to process your fear with God first. Your first stop is not your spouse. Your first stop is not the psychiatrist. Your first stop is not your trusted friends. They may be able to provide help later, but your first stop in processing fear is with your creator. Number four. Face your fear. Ooh, now this might be really hard. This might be really hard, but face it. One of my brother-in-laws is a high, uh, highway patrolman in the Texas Department of Public Safety. And when I asked him about his training, I said, when you get into a gunfight, when stuff is really going bad, what do you do? He said, that's easy. We're wearing body armor. It's designed to protect my most vital organs. So I've got ballistic plates in all the right places. And the best thing I can do if someone is shooting is square up to them and look them in the eye. It's the best chance I have of survival. If you've got friends in the army and they've been on or are on tanks, do you know where the thickest part of the armor on an M1 Abrams tank is? In the front. And so when they take fire, they square up to it and look it dead in the eye. If you try to avoid your fears, if you try to circumvent them or ignore them, it will not work out well for you. 
Face them. And you're not going to do it under your own strength, by the way. You've got to take it to God. And he's going to give you the power through his Holy Spirit to turn and face those fears. And there is no like tiptoeing into the water like, oh, it's cold, so if I just get in slowly, we'll be okay. No, 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 square up. Immerse yourself into it and face it and let God's power work through you to do the rest. Number five, increase your faith. Increase your faith. You see, faith and fear, they don't mix. They can't coexist. More of one, less of the other. Let God increase your faith. As you take that fear to God and you allow him to do a work in your life, you allow him through, his, through the power of his Holy Spirit for you to face that fear, it will incrementally increase your faith that God is going to do the things he said he's going to do in his word. And as your faith grows, there's no room for fear. They cannot coexist. You've got to allow God to increase your faith as you continue to seek him. We've got to separate the object of our fear from the feeling of fear itself. Like the man checking the barbed wire fence. You know, he was, the feeling of fear was very real, but the object of fear was not the cause of his pain. And sometimes we do this irrationally. We associate the feeling of fear with the thing we perceive that is causing us the fear. And now it's the vicious cycle. And now our thinking is all kinds of sideways. And we can't see the best that God has for us on the other side. Let's look in Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you. Friends, the only person that has the power, the knowledge, the ability to help you with whatever it is that you're fearing, it's God. It's the only person. There might be other great tools out there that folks will offer you to help you process that kind of stuff, but the only one with the legitimate power to help you overcome it is your creator. Him who can do above and beyond all that we ask or think. In 2 Timothy 2.7, it says, and we read this earlier, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. That fear that's immobilizing you, it's not from God. Because what God gave you is power through his Holy Spirit. He's loved you to the cross, and he's given you the ability to have clear thinking but we've got to be disciplined about what we think. You can control what you think. It says that he's given a sound judgment because in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for when we think we are. You've heard that saying, if you, if you think you're wrong or you think you're right, yep. It's what you think that is. And I'm telling you, scripture tells us that we can control what we think. And if all we're thinking about is this object of fear, and we've associated the feeling of fear with it, it's a vicious cycle that only a divine intervention can help us overcome. Point number six, turn to others for help. This is point number six. It's the last one for a reason. I didn't start with turning to others for help, right? We give it to God first. And we ask him what he can do for us as his Holy Spirit works through us. There are, however, some spiritual family benefits because we're stronger together and we might actually have to turn to one another for some help. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. 
Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, this is the beauty of spiritual family because we can go to each other for this kind of help. You know, in our small groups, maybe there's someone dealing with a fear that we don't deal with or that we've overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit in a, in a past experience. If that's the case, friend, be a good spiritual family member and come alongside and help carry those burdens. If there's someone that in our spiritual family that's afraid of failing, maybe we could come alongside them and lift them up and remind them about the victor they are in Christ. Maybe if there's somebody with a fear of loss, we can come alongside a spiritual family and remind them all that we have gained in life and that we have to be thankful for rather than what we don't have or losing what we do have that's not ours anyway. Maybe if there's someone who's afraid of rejection in our spiritual family, we can come alongside them and lift them up and remind them that Jesus accepts us for who we are. We don't have to do anything different. I got to get back to the notes. Man. You ever seen the movie Inside Out? Love that movie. Mainly because my girls love that movie. And inside out, we see this young character, Riley. And little girl Riley is moving to San Francisco, and she's all out of sorts trying to deal with all of these emotions that live inside of her. And then we see all the emotions that are characters themselves inside of her as Riley grows up. Who do we see? We see anger, we see joy, we see sadness, and we see fear. Now, when Riley was a baby and she's tearing around a corner, fear grabs the console inside of Riley's mind and he pulls her in. Whoa, 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 we're going to hurt ourselves. Let's slow down. That's the protective fear. Fast forward in the movie, though, and Riley's dealing with a lot of stuff and we see fear. He's given full control of the whole console of Riley's mind and everything goes awry. When we allow fear to grab the console and take over, our mind is... Our thinking is skewed. We can't see what's right because the fear has blinded that. Heard a story about a Bengal tiger at a zoo that was, what a magnificent animal it is. But at this particular zoo, that Bengal tiger would cower in a corner when a mouse came out. A mouse had made his home in his cage and this Bengal tiger would, you'd find him in a fetal position over in the corner when the mouse came out to get food or scurry around or or the tiger would leap back just terrified. What's wild is this tiger was missing the facts that one fail swoop from his heavy paw would just absolutely solve the problem that was the object of his fear, but the fear blinded him from the facts. Friend, your fear is blinding you from the facts. Somebody told me fear stands for false evidence appearing real. It's simply not true. It's a real foe, this fear the spirit of fearfulness. It's a real foe in the Christian life because when we allow it to take a foothold in our lives, we allow it to skew our thinking and it immobilizes us from the very best God has and it it dilutes our interactions with other spiritual family members and with our creator. And God never intended for that fear to do it, but he's given us the tools to overcome it. 
Now, I tell a story when uh, my middle daughter, Aniston, was born, there was some challenges uh, during her transition. And there was a point when the staff, we were at a hospital with no NICU, and there was a point when the staff, you know, they identified that they needed some help. And so they made a call to the nearest NICU an hour away. And so the NICU team comes racing in, and I remember in the delivery room, they had taken Lisa away, and, and the baby was in there, and, and Aniston was struggling. And it was a bit chaotic, kind of scared for me. And I remember the moment the NICU team walked into the room. Two NICU nurses, two respiratory therapists, rolling the isolate, and the neonatologist. And I remember when they came in, it was like watching a movie where the FBI comes onto a scene, and they're like, hey, we're in charge now. So they roll in, and these professionals, man, they just took over. And I had an immediate sense of just... The unique thing about that story that I tell you is that the circumstances never changed. The, The dangers that were the dangers that were generating my fear, they didn't go away. The only difference was that someone with the ability to interrupt my thinking walked into the room. And friends, I'm telling you, if there's something that you're scared about, you're dealing with fear in your life that's immobilizing you and keeping you from the very best God has, listen, I'm just telling you, let somebody with the divine power to interrupt your thinking come into your room. In Psalm 23, as I close, many of you might be able to quote this chapter to me, but there's a verse in Psalm 23, at least you've heard it before, It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. That verse may sort of be lost, the context may be lost on us, the true meaning. So I'm just going to provide, I'm going to overlay just a little bit of context. And then we're going to revisit what that verse really is telling us. So, you know, being a shepherd in Jesus' time is an incredibly important profession. And when a shepherd would take their flock to a new pasture for grazing, there was a very real danger in that pasture that lurked. So you see, in that part of the country, there's small vipers that burrow into the ground, little holes. They go down in there. And to an animal as small as a sheep, they're quite dangerous, these vipers. And when sheep would go out into a pasture, the vipers would come up out of that hole and bite the sheep, and it could prove fatal for them. So a shepherd, When he took his flock to a new pasture, he would put them in a safe space and then the shepherd would go out into the pasture with his staff and he would begin to poke at the ground and find these holes where the vipers lived. When he found one, he would take out a very thick and smelly tar-like oil and he would pour it onto the edges of the hole, making the edge of the hole very slippery. Once he had found all the holes in the new pasture, the shepherd would go back to the flock. Then he would take that same horrid smelling, slippery, tar-like oil, and he would put it on the sheep's noses, all of them. And then he would release the flock. So now the sheep, with a very real danger, very close, could graze fear-free. Because the viper, not only could it get out of the hole, but if it did, it wouldn't want to bite the sheep anyway. They they smelled terrible, and it was so slippery that they could never get a hold of it. And so the sheep were literally grazing in the presence of the thing that could kill them. 
So let's revisit that verse in Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Friends, there is a great shepherd that has already prepared the pasture for you. Are there things out there to be afraid of? Yes. But I'm just telling you that there's a God who loves you and I so much that he's already gone out there and prepared the table for us. But we've got to step out and let him build our faith. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, we can overcome our fears. If there is a fear in your life that's keeping you from the very best God has for you, I hope that as we've gone through these six sort of very practical concepts today, I hope that this week you can be honest about your fear. Just identify it. Give it a name and call it out of the fog. Be very specific about it. Give it to God. He's the only one that can help you through it anyways. Face it. Square up to it. Look it dead in the eye and allow God through his word and his power working through you to increase your faith because he's the only one with the power to do it. And if necessary, you lean hard on spiritual family because we're here for each other. Galatians tells us to carry each other's burdens. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that this morning we have gone deeper into your word about what you have to say about this dilea fear, this fear born out of cowardice or timidity. God, you did not give us that spirit of fear. You've given us power through your Holy Spirit. You've loved us to the cross and resurrection. And God, you have given us sound judgment so that we can control our thinking. And this morning, I pray for every person in the sound of my voice that they would be able to identify those fears in their life that are unhinging them from your word and keeping them from the very best that you have for us. I pray, God, that you would do a work in their life, even as I pray right now. Lord, help us this week to put these principles into action as we continue to draw close to you, the only one who has the divine intervention that can interrupt our thinking and this vicious cycle that the enemy wants to unhinge us from with fear. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us everything. We ask all these things in your name and everybody said, amen.